All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Who will stop the big bad Oilers? We've arrived in Edmonton, the final stop of our Western Canadian season preview tour on Frankly Speaking, presented by Betway. If you're going to place a bet, bet on Betway. Ontario only, 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Edmonton Oilers with the 5-2 win here over the Sharks. Nine straight wins, ties a franchise record, and they get their 50th victory. They haven't done that since 86-87. 5 to the final, Oilers over the Sharks. Edmonton gets set for the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's how the regular season ended for the Edmonton Oilers. They cruised into the second season with a 14-0-1 record, running over West rivals Colorado, Dallas, L.A., and Vegas to enter the slog for Lord Stanley as the hottest team in the league. Do you have to get to another level in the playoffs, or is there another level to get to? It looks like you're pretty much at the ceiling the way the numbers are going, the way, you know, 14-0-1. How do you get better? Yeah, I mean, you know, those are nice, but that's done. That's in the rearview mirror. They set a new NHL record on the power play with a lethal 32.4% clip. As McDavid, now he gets it to Nugent Hopkins. He'll shoot, score! Into the corner, pass across, right side, he'll score! McDavid comes down the left wing into the Chicago end, shoot, score! They even led the league in shorthanded goals with 18. How good is that? That's more than half of the New York Islanders' entire power play production last season. Yanmark! Short-handed! Connor McDavid chipped in a career-best 64 goals, becoming the third player to hit 60 this century, and Leon Dreisaitl netted 128 points, which without McDavid's insane year would have tied the high-water mark in the salary cap era. One man back, a shot, they score! Dreisaitl has a hat-trick! Connor McDavid, a weighted rhymer, goes upstairs, and the Oilers are up 6 1. Connor just outweighted him and elevated the puck for his 64th of the season. Edmonton sensation Stuart Skinner bailed out Jack Campbell and recorded 29 wins, an Oilers franchise record for a rookie goaltender. I mean, it means a lot, obviously, being, uh, you know, recognized in the same sentence as, as Grant Fear. I mean, uh, growing up in Edmonton. All you heard about is how fantastic of a goalie he is, competitor. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame goalie, one of the best goalies to ever play the game. And then Ken Holland left no stone unturned at the deadline to bolster the group. Whoa, oh my God. What is it? Matthias Ekholm and a sixth-round pick are coming to Edmonton. It's Tyson Berry, Reed Schaefer, a first and a fourth going the other way. It was a dream season in Edmonton. 
until they ran into the Golden Knights. And this series is over. Vegas has won game six, five to two, and the Golden Knights, despite being outshot 41-22, deal Edmonton their first back-to-back -back losses in two and a half months. Injuries to Evander Kane and Zach Hyman didn't help. Did you break your thumb in the playoffs? I had, yeah, I had uh, some stuff, but, but again, those aren't, for me, excuses uh, for anything on the ice. Dreisaitl put a lot of the blame on himself. I got to take a lot of ownership myself because uh, I'm good tonight. So. But Coach Jay Woodcroft didn't see it that way. That's beyond being the leader that he is in, in trying to take all that on himself but we win as a team and we lose as a team and uh, in the end uh, we didn't execute at a high enough rate today in order to win the game and push it to seven games. Losing to the eventual Stanley Cup champion two years in a row stings. That made for a big summer in oil country. The Oilers solidified their front office succession plan by hiring McDavid's agent Jeff Jackson to become their CEO of Hockey Ops. They re-signed Evan Bouchard and Ryan McLeod and filled a big void on the right side of their lineup by signing McDavid's junior running mate, Connor Brown, coming off an ACL surgery. Uh, it's been really exciting. I think group's in a great spot. Um, everyone's really hungry, and so it's, uh, you know, it's a really exciting time to be an Oiler, and so you know, I feel uh, honored to be able to you know, be a part of it. It's go time in Edmonton. The expectation is clear. After feeling like Lord Stanley was within their sights, falling short this year will feel like failure. On this episode, you'll hear from President of Hockey Ops and GM Ken Holland, who is entering the final year of his five-year contract and has put the Oilers on the right track. It's because of Holland that the depth and support behind numbers 97 and 29 is the best it's ever been. But first, here's my sit-down with Oilers bench boss, Jay Woodcroft. Jay, before we get talking about this season, I want to ask you about last year because one thing that stuck with me was watching some of your players digest the loss to Vegas. We saw Leon Dreisaitl. It's about as broken as I've seen a player and a team coming off of a loss in the playoffs. We don't really get a sense of what a coach's emotions are like. How do you process that? I think the big thing our coaching staff looked to do was to take the emotion out of any response. Um, obviously, Immediately after a series, you feel a certain way, but we wanted to take a little bit of time, make sure that we were looking at things clearly below surface level. For me, it was about trying to figure out things that we can do better as we move forward. Also have the realization of having been in this league for as long as that I have. Teams sometimes uh, have to go through certain experiences in order to find a way to push through. If you look at the Vegas Golden Knights uh, last year, I think they were four out of six years in the in the final four. Prior to that, uh, obviously Colorado had some disappointments before they, they got to where they wanted to be and certainly the Tampa Bay Lightning before them. You go through a situation like we went through, it's about digging deeper than surface level and then finding a way to repurpose that disappointment so that you can learn your lessons and set yourself up as you move forward. A year prior to that, losing to Colorado... I don't want to say there was a feeling of satisfaction, but you guys had gotten to a new level that you hadn't been to. And the way the series ended, that maybe you felt like, okay, the response this time to Vegas, did it feel different to you? It did feel a little bit different. Obviously, the two playoff runs, there were some differences. We made it to the third round uh, against Colorado. Not that you're you're not satisfied. We're, we're competitive people. We're, we're in it to win it. And... It was disappointing that we lost to Colorado, but from where the team was when Dave Manson and I came beginning of February there, I think the team was seven seven points out or something like that. To get as far as we did, there was a little sense of we're heading in the right direction. The trajectory was in, in the right direction. We were disappointed we didn't beat Colorado, but we felt you know we were hitting some markers along the way. I think last year you know against Vegas. Uh, we had an understanding that whoever came out of that series had a good chance to find a w way through and, and break through. 
you know, we lost to a good hockey team. Our hats are off to them. They did a good job and nothing should be taken away from them. But for us, it's about, as I said, repurposing that disappointment and learning some of the lessons that were key in that series. So at some point during the off season, the school year ends, you pack up, you go wherever you spend your summer in Ontario. How does a coach spend their summer? What do you think about? How much does that loss eat at you? How much did you watch the rest of the playoffs and watch what Vegas did? Do you learn anything from it? I think you do. As I said, I, you want to make sure you're looking at things with a sober mindset so you're not hyper-emotional. I think you take a little bit of time immediately after that that series. Uh, you have your exit meetings. For me, I spent a lot of time in the following weeks as the playoffs continued on, studying uh, different teams, what was working, what maybe wasn't working, delving into studying our own team game and putting our coaching staff to work, doing the same thing, came back together around the draft time, had a good idea of where we wanted to go in certain situations, uh, spent some time discussing players around free agency. And then eventually when I get back to Ontario, it's not that you turn your brain off from the coaching side of things. You're just in a different environment. You and I were talking off camera. That's part of why my wife and I purchased a cottage many years ago was uh, really you're purchasing a mindset, which is you're going to a certain environment to renew, to emotionally, physically recharge your battery, so to speak. For me, that happens in Halliburton, Ontario, where I get to spend a lot of family time with my two kids and my wife. Are you scribbling down line combos on napkins? Are you thinking about, like, okay, so one of the big storylines in training camp so far has been you're switching up the way you play defense. Mm -hmm. When did that come to you? Was it a group decision with the other coaches? Is it you sitting on a dock being like, you know what? We had a bunch of one-goal losses to Vegas. We could do this a little better, a little different. Well, I think my philosophy would be that when you do your work, things become clear. And so the first phase in that process is making sure that you're really doing your work. You're um, constantly pushing to find answers. And I think that's what all coaches at the highest levels do. I think for me, when I remove myself from the city I work in and go to Ontario, it just frees me up on the mindset side of things. I think... I do spend a lot of time fishing out on the water. That allows me a relaxed environment to let things... To think uh, of zone defense? Well, well, to to think of different ways we want to go. And uh, for me, I'm a very fortunate person because I'm surrounded by a high-quality staff that does their own work, that is unafraid to surface different types of ideas. I think it's my job and it's incumbent upon me to make sure I'm my ears are open, I listen, I weigh, I make a decision, and then I move forward. For me to do that in the environment of Halliburton, Ontario, that's just where I feel relaxed. And as I said, it doesn't mean that your brain isn't working. It's just you're working in a different environment. And I think when you make those type of decisions, you want to make sure that you are looking at things clearly, soberly, below surface level, and that you have the confidence that you've done the work required to make good decisions. So my guess is knowing you a little bit that you're probably not also making that decision in a vacuum. Who is part of your support system? Who do you Maybe, And I don't mean in this organization. Who do you call? Who is in your group that you trust, that you bounce things off of? Well, I would start in this organization because we have a lot of really quality resources available to the coaching staff. So for me, the, the coaches that we have are excellent. And I bounce things off them all the time. I give them projects. I ask for their opinion and seek and value their opinion. We also have a Hall of Fame general manager that has been there, done that, and seen most things in the hockey world uh, over his numerous years working in Detroit's organization and certainly in the last five years working for Edmonton here. I have a real good relationship with Paul Coffey, who is a Hall of Fame player and is working within our organization. But I think you also spend a lot of time talking to other coaches as well. Ken Hitchcock is someone that I've come to really 
really value my conversations with. Paul Maurice is somebody that I speak with. Also loves to fish. Also, yeah, he has his cottage <laughs> up in Manitoba. Anytime I, I call, he he's very generous with his time and picks up when I do call him. But, you know, some of the younger, uh, newer generation coaches like John Hines, I have a real good relationship with as well. Obviously, you, you know my friendship in history with Todd McClellan. When you're in the position that you're in, that I find myself in, you haven't got there by yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realize that. I, I have worked alongside a lot of really good people. I seek the counsel and advice from a lot of very learned and smart hockey people. I'm a fortunate person because uh, when I call, they pick up. But you can't call Todd McClellan now. Can you? Well, Todd McClellan and I would talk about would be more on a personal family level. Obviously, we're in the same division. We've had two real good playoff series against each other. It's developing into quite the rivalry. They have a great team, and they've done a great job as a coaching staff with that group. And, um, you know, we've played a lot of games against each other over the last few years. And a lot of important games, and he really knows this team too. Does that make it? difficult to go head-to-head no because i realize that it's not jay versus todd it's the edmonton oilers versus the los angeles kings and you know i know he's going to give his best to try and help his team win and i certainly going to give my best to provide leadership for our team and, and come up with a game plan um we've played two really competitive playoff series and a lot of real competitive games over the last year and a half or so how do you think you've changed as a coach especially since getting to the nhl I began in the American League as a head coach, but having spent a lot of time as an assistant coach in the National Hockey League. So I really enjoyed coaching at the American League level because of where the players were at in their career stage. They were this close to the NHL and you had a real wrapped audience of people that would do things to try and find a way to push through to get to the National Hockey League. It also allowed me, away from the bright lights, to be able to experiment with some things and work on things without the scrutiny of uh, national media or uh, fan bases media and just kind of go about uh, finding some of the... not finding, but refining um, some of my philosophies that I hold dear as a coach. Uh, The way it worked out when it came up to Edmonton Uh, in February of 2022, the one advantage that I had was I had some established relationships already with key players that were already here. There were the players that I had in the American Hockey League, and they knew me as a head coach, but I had established relationships with the leadership group already in place because I had been an assistant coach for three years. They knew me. They understand my value system. They understand the way I speak and communicate. And that was a real advantage for me as a coach. Your initial question was, how have I grown? I think uh, experiential learning is key, not only for players, but for coaches. I learn from our players every day about how they react and respond to different type of stimulus, different types of information being presented to them, different types of uh, communication styles being presented to them. For me, I learn every day from our players and the people around me here in Edmonton. So when you first got here, there was maybe a little bit of a different set of expectations. You've now helped get this team to that spot where that becomes a reality. But at the same time, you also came in with, right or wrong, a reputation as someone that can develop and help players, especially some of the younger guys. How do you manage that this year when it's go time? I think that speaks to how far this team has come in a year and a half, seven points out of the playoffs, to where it is being held by the media and outside people uh, in the regard that we're being held in. That's a compliment for how much work has been done over the last year and a half. I think as a coach, what I try and do is block out all of that outside noise, put our import and our focus and our concentration on what we feel is most important. Probably a week ago or so, I met with the team for the first time and I I let them know that I wanted two things taken care of. The first thing being, take care of your day. 
because that's really all we can take care of. We can't worry about things that are two weeks from now or two months from now or things in April, May, and June. We have to take care of our day. If we do that, I believe things will take care of themselves. We got to get the most out of our day, whether it's a game day, practice day, or recovery day. We have to make sure we're doing things properly. And the other thing was to make sure that we're working towards a standard. We're fortunate. We work for the Edmonton Oilers. There's a standard in place. Our job is to add to that legacy by pushing through. And the way you do that is by taking care of your day. That was my message to our team a week ago. Is that how you prevent the expectations, the preseason Stanley Cup favorite from becoming daunting? Yeah. It's, you know, you've got a you've got a slog ahead of you and none of it's guaranteed. Right. Right. You know what I think? We have the challenge of an 82-game schedule in front of us. Our job during training camp, this two and a half weeks here in training camp, is to make sure we're putting a foundation in place that will help meet the challenges of that 82-game schedule. It's not easy. I think uh, a few years ago, the team started very well. It was 16-4 and out of the gates, then hit a rough patch. We want to make sure that the work that we're doing now is going to help sustain us. We're, we're realistic. We're not going to be immune to forms of adversity during a long season. I mean, not even last season was easy. Right. You, know, you hit a patch in January before that that you were right on the cusp. Right. You know, we, we had some injury trouble early. Obviously, the horrific injury to Vander Kane, but Yamamoto was out, uh, McLeod was out, Fogel was out. Four of our top nine forwards at one point were out all at the same time. So we were treading water for a while, and then we really took off there in January. So we understand that. It's not going to go perfectly, but we don't want to be perfect. We want to be present. We want to take care of our day Every day. You were talking earlier about confidence in terms of your process. When it comes to the defense that you're implementing, uh, playing a different style, why did you want to do that? Well, I would say this. I think what's being um, presented in the media is a bigger thing than it really is. I think there are small tweaks uh, that all teams try and implement. And the best time to implement that is when you have time to practice, which you know happens during <laughs> during training camp. So for us, we, we're introducing some small tweaks. We do that every year. It's just uh, uh, for us, we're spending more time in specific areas. And you know, as a coaching staff, we were talking about it this morning, we would compare it to an onion, which is at the core of the onion is what you hold most dear, the nucleus to your belief system. And what is that? Well, for us in February of 22, we came in, we knew that we couldn't address 10 different areas. We had to be very specific. And that was our work back to our own end. Some people call it back checking, but that was something that we wanted to clean up at that time. And now if that was the nucleus of our belief system last year, heading into training camp, I heard how the Oilers were only a perimeter only offense team, a team that only relied on their power play, a team power play merchants. Well, and a team that only had success offensively off the rush. Mm. So that was an area that we wanted to address. Now, all of a sudden, now we're known as a team that can wear you down on a four check or on a cycle. And we ended up leading the league in goals last year. So we don't want to lose those things. Those are important. But those are to layers us. to the onion. They're, They're not la- the core. Exactly. So what is the core? Well, the core was the back checking and work. It still is? That work ethic back to our, our end. We're not going to lose that. We don't want to lose the work that we put into our four check and cycle game. And now you'll have to wait and see what the next layer to the onion is going to look okay. like. Okay. Well, I'm going to leave you with this then. Fill in the blank. This season will be a success for the Edmonton Oilers if we take care of our day and take care of our standard. My thanks to Jay Woodcroft for giving us time after practice at Rogers Place. You won't find the word namaste plastered on the Oilers' dressing room wall, but it feels like Woodcroft is Edmonton's Zen master, attempting to bring a calm to a pressure-packed environment where everyone seems to be laser-focused. After the break, I sit down with Ken Holland for a lengthy conversation about team expectations, his legacy, and what makes McDavid and Dreisaitl so different. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ken, maybe not such a busy summer from a transaction standpoint for the Edmonton Oilers, but also a busy summer off the ice in the front office. Jeff Jackson arrives as CEO. What's it been like working with Jeff? I've really enjoyed it. He's obviously, uh, you know, I've dealt with Jeff quite a bit, right. having Connor McDavid as when he was in the agent and, and Evan Bouchard. So uh, we've talked a lot over the last uh, four years. Really enjoyed uh now that Jeff's on board and we're working on the same team, one of the things that he's bringing, obviously, is the perspective of dealing with a lot of the other NHL teams and the general managers because he's got players throughout the league. So, you know, he's bringing some uh, other perspectives. You know, he's he played in the National Hockey League. He was an assistant general manager with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's had a successful agency, I think a decade or more. So uh, very good hockey man and uh, really enjoyed my time with him and look forward to the upcoming season. How does the perspective from some other organizations, how they operate, how does that help you? Well, I think, you know, as, as we've kind of gone over here the, the summer, as, as we've talked about some things, the big time during the season to make changes is through the draft, if you're going to make trades. And then early in July, when you've got free agency, now Jeff joined us later on, you know, injuries, you know, he's obviously, um, you know, had clients that have been injured and teams dealing with the injuries and going to second opinions. And I know he's had some people that have worked uh, obviously with Connor. So, you know, as we've come into training camp now and you start to get uh, some of these nagging injuries, you know, he's got some really good information and some different perspective. He's heard it for the last decade from the player's perspective. If they have, uh, you know, hip flexors, groin injuries, this, that, he'll be talking to the players. So he's got that perspective, which, you know, I've always been on the on the club side. So, you know, that's one example. But mm-hmm. you know, as we've come into training camp and, and, and had talks about players and what we're going to do with the team, I'd like to think I'm bringing some experience and he's bringing uh, obviously experience, but also another perspective. Interesting to add another layer to that. Ken, I thought you had one of the quotes of the offseason when you said, I don't invest in green bananas. I love that because I thought it was a really simple way to explain the thought process of where this team has evolved to and also to highlight how different, you know, you're four years in here, how different of a spot this team is in. How does that change how you approach this season? You know, from where you were trying to get this back on the right track to now being in, it's go time. Yeah, I think in my opening press conference, uh, you know, I talked about, you know, I was signing a five-year contract, you know, the previous couple of seasons, I think they were 29th or 30th in the league. And it's always important to play big games. And there's different senses of big games. Obviously, the biggest game would be, you know, you're in the Stanley Cup Finals and it's game seven and, you know, the winner takes all. And I've been involved, obviously, one game in 09 in Pittsburgh in that. But I thought it was important that, in year one, we were playing big games in March, which meant that we were in the playoff hunt and you got to win some games to make the playoffs. And, you know, in year two, and you know, you want to kind of grow and build from that. And in year one, we really were in that position. And then the, the pandemic hit. The first year we played in that bubble playoff against the Chicago Blackhawks. 
Um, they came in with a veteran group of players that had that had won before Taze, Duncan Keith, Kane, and some other players. And I thought that we kind of played regular season hockey. It was the, the growing experience of being in those games over and over and over again. And then year two, we qualified for the playoffs in the Canadian division. And I thought we played playoff hockey. We had three overtime games with Winnipeg. We got swept, but, you know, one game was nothing, nothing going to overtime. One game was 1-1 going to overtime. And then year three, obviously, we went to the final four. We got beat by a team that uh, had kind of built and grown into that. Colorado had been through that two, three times, and they beat us and went on to win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, every year we've kind of got more points, I think, than the year before. So I think as part of an organization, it's you got to put yourself in those positions over and over and over again. Obviously, the ultimate goal for all 32 teams, and certainly our team, is ultimately to one day win the Stanley Cup. My experiences in Detroit where you've got to be banging on the door every year. You know, when the regular season's over, you got to be part of the tournament. you got to feel good about what you've accomplished during the regular season. And obviously, the more experiences that you've got players that, that had playoff experience is a positive. And, and I think that's what we've tried to build here over the last four years. And, you know, obviously now we're coming into, when you look at the age of our players, that we're in the really the primes of their careers. We've kind of grown each year. We've lost to the last two Stanley Cup champions, Vegas and Colorado, after they've gone on to uh, beat other teams to win the Stanley Cup. So, you know, our players have had a firsthand look at what a, what a Stanley Cup champion team looks like the last two years. Frank, we start all over again, and there's 32 teams starting out here on October the 12th or 13th when the season starts. And nothing's guaranteed. And nothing's guaranteed, and you've got to do it all over again. But that said, I just meant in terms of managing and shaping this roster, you know, you see the the Ekholm trade last year. It's a totally different spot than you guys were in when you first took over. What is the next iteration of that? And I guess maybe the easiest way to ask the question is, you've got a bunch of young guys that as part of that process you've helped develop. The Holloways, the DeHarnays, all these other guys, Broberg, that are now being asked to do some things. How much easier could they make your life when it comes to rounding out this team in the spring at the trade deadline if those guys are able to step in and fill some of you know those last remaining voids that you have? That's obviously an important piece of the process, you know, is having some younger people grow into being important pieces of your team. You know, why? Well, number one, they're young, and the hope is that they're going to get better. And number two is they're cheap. You know, they, everybody can't make six and seven, eight million dollars. You've got to have a good portion of your roster is going to probably be making under a million and a quarter. That's just, you know. It's a fact or, of life. Yeah, well, cap. especially, you know, I got here in 2019. The cap was 81.5. I've been through five off seasons. The cap's 83.5. So it's gone up $2 million in five off seasons. So in that time, you know, we've talked about Ekholm. Obviously, he's made $6 million. And we've we've signed Evander Kane and we brought in Hyman. So, But you can't just keep bringing in five and $6 million players. So certainly the growth of Bouchard, the growth of Skinner, the growth of McLeod, um, you know, the growth of Yamamoto, who had 20 goals and 40 points a, a year ago. But ultimately, when the cap barely moves, and this year moved $1 million, we had to make some hard decisions and, you know, really align. Uh, Bukestad at the deadline, uh, Costin and Yamamoto, they're all in uh, in other cities because we had to make hard decisions on uh, salary caps. So certainly now, you know, the Brobergs, the Holloways, Lavoie, We've signed some players that Peterson that had played, been, he's been around pro hockey, giving Adam Ernie a tryout, giving Brandon Sutter a tryout. These are all important pieces in the overall scheme of things. Obviously, everybody looks at the players that really drive your team, the superstars. But if you want to have a good, successful regular season, you want to qualify and you want to then make the playoffs, you need depth and you need players, younger players, players from your minor league team coming in and pitching in during the season to have a good year. I'm glad you mentioned Lavoie because I think he's such an interesting test case of how you shape this year. You've got a prospect who's a second round pick that, you know, has a big moment in front of him at this camp. He's not waiver exempt. You're going to have to make a decision, but you've also got experienced guys on PTOs that could probably fill a similar role. How do you manage that? Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's what we're going to go through preseason now. You know, the, you know we've played a couple of preseason games. We got six preseason games to go. Now the rosters are going to get better. I thought the first couple of games, you know, we played back to back with Winnipeg. Both teams used, you know, lots of you know younger players. The, the rosters are the lineups are going to get stronger, and we've got here six games and what around two weeks, thirteen days to make those decisions. 
obviously we're going to factor in some of the things that, that these players have done in the past that has to be part of the process and I'll sit down with you know Jay Woodcroft and be talking to his staff on an everyday basis and you know Jeff Jackson and Keith Gretzky who knows he's seen Lavoie play lots in the American Hockey League and then you ultimately go through the evaluation process and then we do our talking and kind of look at our team and they're going to be difficult decisions. All 32 teams are going to have difficult mm-hmm. decisions as to who's on their final roster. Obviously, with the cap not moving, you know, if you carry a 23-man roster, that extra spot or two can factor into how you think. And you're not going to be able to use but that. But we're, we're probably going to have a 21-man roster, so, you know, we're going to have to it makes it for a little more difficult decisions with a 22 or 23-man roster. You can maybe carry a younger player for a period of time and give them some opportunity to see what and happens. And not force the decision. We're in a little bit, little bit of a different situation, but I knew that was, uh, you know, certainly when we let some people go, it was important to uh, to get Evan Bouchard signed. It was important to get McLeod signed, and we kept the players that we felt were the most important. And then we we let some people go. Not that we didn't want them. The salary cap forced us into making decisions philosophically, and not to put too fine a point on the Lavoie decision, but if you have a a younger guy that's a second-round pick that you think might be able to be something, the development time's over for the Edmonton Oilers at the NHL level. That's not what that's about anymore. It's about winning and chasing a Stanley Cup. How do you... Well, fortunately, I've been—I was through that for pro, you know I was a general manager of the Detroit Red Wings from '97 to 2019, what 22 years, and the last three years were a rebuild. But other, you know, 17, 18 years, we were sort of in this, you know, the time is now mode. I've got lots of experience in um, making those decisions. So, in Rafi's case, obviously, he's a second-round pick. We liked him uh, in his draft year. He's six foot four. He had a big playoff. Uh, his first year was the pandemic. I think he spent a good chunk of that year over in Europe playing in the Allsvenskan, scored some goals. And then not this past year, but the year before he had a bit of a first year in the American League, really had some injuries. And then last year, again, he was hurt, came back, got off to a slow start. And then from around early December to the end of year, scored 25 goals in about 50 games. So I know he's trained really hard this summer. You know, he got injured at the end of the year. Obviously it's an important training camp for him. It's an important training camp for us to make a decision, you know, obviously when you put a player on waivers, anytime they become waiver eligible, if you don't protect them and keep them on the team, you're exposing them and you could possibly lose them. So this is a big 10 days here that, you know, he's played one game. I'm assuming he'll play another probably four out of the next six. And we got to make some tough decisions. From the outside looking in, if there's one question mark about the Edmonton Oilers that some have, it might be goaltending. Tough year, no, no secret. No one's hiding it for Jack Campbell last year. Stuart Skinner stepped in and really had a great year and is going to be a key part of this team moving forward. But where is Jack Campbell? And for you, what is the ideal split in terms of how you make this year go? Well, well, first off, you know, we got a goalie that was a finalist for the um, Calder Trophy. So there hasn't been a lot of goalies that get voted in. So that tells you the type of year that, that Stu Skinner had. He had 29 wins. He played, I think, 28 of our last 32 games. So, you know, we believe that we've got a really good young goaltender. I think Stu's 23, maybe 24. I mean, he, he's going to be an NHL goalie here for, you know, probably a decade. Or, you know, so, and, he's, and, and there's lots of upside. And obviously we signed Jack Campbell last year, but the number one goalie. And I thought Jack had a inconsistency. I think in February, I think there was a time uh, he won nine in a row. So he was a piece of help, a part of helping us qualify for the playoffs. Down the stretch, we started to go to Stu on an every-night basis. Jack only come in in relief. When he came in in relief, he played very, very good. I know that Jack did some things this offseason, changed his training. He looks you know, leaner. Yeah, he's a little thinner. He's He's got a, a you know, he's kind of focused in or got a different a, a mental coach that, that he's dealing with. I know he's excited. Last year was probably his worst year statistically in his career in the National Hockey League. And I'd also say that... There was more goals last year than in the past, so everybody's statistics have kind of gone down. Most of the goalie statistics, their saves percentage, their mm-hmm. goals against, the goals against have gone up, and the saves percentages have gone down. So first year of a five-year contract, come in with a lot of pressure. Part of the reason we signed him is he'd been in Toronto. It's a pressure situation, a big market. He's been here for a year now. He knows the expectations. He knows the team. He's got a great relationship with Stu Skinner, Obviously, we need both goalies to play good. It's a two-goalie league. 
even if one goalie plays 55 to 60 games, the Steely guys still got to play 20 to 25. But I think coming in, we're probably looking at the split of 45-35. Does one guy play 50 and the other guy play 30? I don't know that you want to play your one guy more, much more than 50 games, how difficult the, the league is. And with especially here in Edmonton, the travel is, you know, when I was in Detroit, the travel here is way way harder so it's it's a two goalie you're on the road more and you know you're going and you're coming you're going and you're coming you know there's not many uh, one hour flights to play games other than maybe Vancouver and uh, and Calgary where when you're in the mid you're right in the middle of the league you know there's lots of one hour mm-hmm. flights so you got to have two goalies um, we're going to need them both is it a pure meritocracy I or does contract the, weigh in uh, contract does not weigh in w- w- winning weighs in I, you know I, I would say that probably as we come here you know, Stu Skinner, the way he finished being our guy down the stretch and in the playoffs is probably coming in with, uh, you know, somebody who's going to play opening night. You know, that's all might be a big thing in some fans' minds. The reality is we play 82 games. I think it's probably 45-35. On the long end, it's 50-30. Where, whoever's playing the best is going to, we're going to push them out there and they're going to play. We got to win games. Obviously, our goals are we want to be a playoff team. If somebody gets hot, someone's playing better than the other guy, we're going to ride them. But ultimately, we're going to need both guys to be contributing over 82 games. Is there something to be said for trying to also give Jack Campbell a chance to, I don't want to say build his confidence, but hey, what happened last year is last, and that that also goes for Stu Skinner. He needs to go out and, and prove that what he did last year he can replicate again. Is there something to be said for making sure that Jack has a, a path to get back to the level he was at previously? Well, I, I, yeah, I think that goes on every day. I mean, obviously we're practice, it's video, there's a, there's a goalie coach, uh, you know, Dustin Schwartz, you know, but Jack's 30, Stu's 24, like they're pros. That's, you know, all 32 teams are in different stages of where, not, not all 32 NHL teams are in the same, same stage. Obviously, where we are right now, when you look at our team, we're trying to compete, make the playoffs, you know, be regarded as a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And over the course of the year, grow our team. We talked about some of the young kids and get to the trade deadline. And, you know, you want to play your way into be a buyer. It means that you're, you like your team and you're trying to add a player. That's what we've done here. You, you don't want to be a seller. You know, I think given where we're at, we're going into game one in, in Vancouver. We're going to put the goalie in there that we think is going to give us the best chance that night to try to win a game. And then three nights later, Vancouver comes here. You know, so maybe early on you can kind of go with one guy a little bit more but ultimately, as the year starts to wear on and you get 10 games in and 15 and 20 and 25 and 30, you can't just keep pushing out the same goalie night after night after night after night. So, you know, we're going to do everything we can to support them, give them every opportunity for success. But it's probably no different than the players, they, they know, the younger players. We're trying to win. And every, every night, we're, we're not just putting players out so that they get experience and hope that it's going to have some f- positive impact two, three, four years down the road, this is an important season. We're trying to, in 23-24, we're trying to legitimately contend and compete with the best teams in the National Hockey League. And it, it starts from from zero, from scratch, for everybody on opening night. And now you got to do that all over again. So, you know, I guess I'm basically saying it's not like these goalies are 19 and 20 and, you know, Jack's 30, the other guy's 23, going to be 24 this year or just turned 24. Stu Skinner spent time in the American Hockey League. All that work has been done in the past, they're pros now. They understand the expectations, the challenges, the responsibilities. And I think they understood that on May the 17th or May the 19th, you know, after we lost out to Vegas and our year was over, they've kind of gone through all that over the course of the summer. It's an ongoing process. You've spent a career around greatness, Hall of Fame players in Detroit, some of the very best at their positions. I'd be remiss not to ask about Connor and Leon because you you had relayed a, a story, you know, whenever you're around the room sometimes as they're walking by or whatever, it's not disrespect at all, but sometimes you can barely get a grumble out of them, a hello, and they're on to the next thing. And I thought to me that spoke, Ken, to the laser focus Connor and Leon have to be great. How much does that rub off on everyone else? Well, it's massive. I mean, you know, people talk about culture. Culture, in my opinion, is your best player's commitment, determination, passion. You know, when I was in Detroit, got the opportunity to come here to Edmonton to be the general manager. Certainly, I knew they were incredibly talented players. You just have to look at the guide record book and the stats tell you. But, you know, getting to watch them on an everyday basis, 
getting to watch them and know what they do in the off season, the sacrifices they make, the determination that they have, the passion that they have to be the best that they can be on an everyday basis. You know, when I first came here the first year, Bob Nichols didn't even tell me that Connor had kind of had an injury, and I kind of all of a sudden got a call about July, or you know, Connor had serious injury, and. Connor was incredibly determined to be ready for opening night. And then knowing how hard he pushed that offseason, pushed himself, and he was in the lineup on opening night. And then play L.A. two years ago and to watch uh, Leon have a high ankle sprain and kind of watch him limp around on an everyday basis and never missing a playoff game. And the impact that he and Connor had helping us uh, you know, beat L.A. and then beat Calgary and then go play uh, – against Colorado, you know, playing injured. It's massive. They set the tone for everybody else. And I was fortunate to have that in Detroit. And if you're a young player coming to training camp or you make the team and you just watch how they handle themselves, how hard they practice out early, uh, late, how they eat, how they, how determined, how focused they are to being, to pushing themselves to get better and better every day has to drive everybody else. I mean, when you see what they're going through, it's 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 a motivator. So certainly um, they're incredibly gifted athletes and incredibly determined, passionate, focused, committed. They're two of the greatest players in the National Hockey League and possibly when their careers are over, going to be two of the best players to ever play the game. So Ken, whatever happens this year... Your legacy is intact. You've got a plaque in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Your name's etched on the Stanley Cup multiple times. This is the last year of your contract. I think you've been kind of vocal about it maybe being your last year as GM and executive running a team. Have you allowed yourself at all to dream about what it would be like to win this year? First off, you know, my focus is on the 23-24 team. And, you know, the future will take care of itself at the appropriate time. You know, the last time that that I was a part of uh, a team being in the Stanley Cup Finals was 09. We lost to Pittsburgh. We went to the Final Four here two years ago. So I do know how hard it is to win the Cup, how good you've got to be, how things have got to kind of go your way at certain times. So I know we're starting out all over again. I guess the luxury of being a general manager for, I don't know how long I've been, 25, 26, 27 years, and been fortunate to have been involved with lots of good teams and went to the finals, I think, six times, and, you know, we won four cups. It's a long way off. You know, they hand the cup out in June. Someone's going to get the cup in June. That's the ultimate goal. It's the process. It's each and every day. You know, it's, you know, going through training camp and making those hard decisions about the final roster spot and then trying to make sure that the things are going good in, in Bakersfield, that the players are developing and then you got to win game one. And then, you know, the first 10 games, you know, you want to win six or seven out of the first 10, you got to get out of the gate. You start to, you start to win three or four out of 10 and you start to get behind because probably 96 points makes the playoffs. You got to win six games out of every 10. So, you know, every 10, I kind of watch what's our record and the next 10. And, you know, somewhere along the line, you need an eight and two if you, if you want to compete for, you know, top four in the conference to be home ice. So I understand the process. I'm not going to get them to myself and start thinking about eight months down the road. That's why we're all in it. That's, you know, the players, the management. We love this challenge of trying to build something. Maybe you get a little excited as you start to get into May and then you start to get down the road. But right now, I'm worried about making the playoffs. I'm worried about our team getting off to a good start. I'm not worried about where my career is going to go when this year's over. I think no matter where my life goes and my career goes, I've been the luckiest guy in the world to, I remember playing road hockey in Vernon, BC and pretending I was, you know, Terry Sachuk and Johnny Bauer. I was a big Leaf fan. And the, when they you won were the almost cup a vacuum cell. Yeah. And I became a Leaf uh, a draft pick. And, and then I became a big Bernie Perrant fan when the Flyers won. And then I played junior in Medicine at Tigers. So I pinched myself quite often to think, you know, where I was um, 11th round draft pick. And, you know, now I've been inducted in the Hall of Fame and, and uh, my name's on the Stanley Cup. So... Would I like to get my name in the Stanley Cup one more time? Yeah, who wouldn't? Everybody does. But I understand, again, it's a long, long process. It's way, way out there. And you got to take care of business each and every day. And then you need a little bit of luck along the way. We'll see where it goes. But uh, I'm excited about the challenge. I'm excited about the 23-24 season. I think we have a really good team. I think there's lots of really good teams. And now we got to go out and uh, prove over 82 games that we, uh, we have a good hockey team.
Thanks to Ken Holland and Jay Woodcroft for their time. You know, it'll be fascinating to watch this season unfold in Edmonton, where the Oilers have also had their fair share of fits and starts in the regular season over the last few years. That really can't be overlooked. But enough with the preview talk. Let's drop the puck. Can't wait to get going this season. We'll try and mix it up each week on Frankly Speaking with some of the most interesting characters in the game. New episodes drop every Wednesday. That is, unless, of course, the season starts on a Tuesday. With opening night, here's Enska Lines from his Pure Luxury album. hockey fans listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season it's called the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge and let me tell you it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience now here's the deal every playoff game day you're going to be faced with four questions it's like your own personal playoff puzzle and here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way first up you got to pick the winning team that sounds simple right but there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.